everybody, and welcome to That's Life, where um, I just bought a box of cereal, and you'd think it was the biggest decision I've ever made in my life, but I will tell you more about that in a minute. Good morning, folks, and thanks for listening. I am Miriam L. Wallach, General Manager here at the Nahum Siegel Network. You can find me here right after Allison and right before Nahum's Live Lunch. It seems that we will have a hmm, shall I say, Labadick live lunch coming up at 11 a.m. Very much looking forward. It seems there are some surprises in store for me. I am not exactly sure what that means, but stay tuned because it sounds like it's going to be a bumpy ride. Uh, Folks, it is my weekly reminder and almost pleading to ask and remind our listeners to wear masks when they are in public and to social distance when necessary and certainly when appropriate. Last week, I ran into someone, I think it was last Friday, I don't know, the days meld, who thanked me for my weekly announcement, talked about how important it was that people be reminded of the benefits of wearing a mask. And it frankly shocked me that people still question it. I mean, it's really not that big of a deal, and it's not that hard to figure out that masks help. Um, But what did stun me was the current how shall we say, climate of mask shaming, which seems to be going on in a variety of communities. I've said a million and a half times that the Nahum Siegel Network is an excellent demonstration of the good that can come out of uh, the internet. We are a digital radio network. We depend on our internet connection. And just like so many things in this world, they can be used for good and they can be used for evil. Well, we choose to use the internet for good things. We choose to use social media here for good things. But yes, as we all know, things as innocuous as Zoom can be used for evil, and so can Facebook and other platforms of social media that are that are popular. I will tell you the following. Using social media to take pictures and post pictures of uh, either people who are pro-mask or anti-mask so that you can share them and embarrass people um, publicly. I, I, I promise you this is going on. We're referring to it as mask shaming and um, making this into an absolute embarrassment for our community is abhorrent behavior. It is worse than not wearing a mask, frankly. It is, it is just unacceptable. And um, not to get all spiritual, but yes, it is Rosh Chodesh Elul. And if there's ever a time for us to take a moment to be introspective and wonder if we are using this time that God has given us on this planet in a productive and positive way, it is with the beginning of Elul. And so I not only implore people to make sure to social distance and wash their hands and wear masks where appropriate, but also to behave in ways, both personally and privately and on social media, that, um, that are in accordance with the values of the Torah. Let's remind everyone that resume at NahumSiegel.com is uh, flourishing. I was actually, I'm, I'm not kidding. I know everybody makes fun of me around here for numerous reasons, but... Um, I was actually, I'm pretty close to, to saying confidently that we might have secured employment for a number of people this week. Um, so please, if you know somebody who is looking for a job and you know somebody who's been unemployed, who's down on their luck because of COVID, please have them send their up 
updated, let's reinforce that word, updated resume to resume at nachumsegel.com. I will remind you also that this is not a shidduch resume service. Let's go through the national holidays. Today's national holiday, I promise you, every time this comes up, it shocks me. Today's national holiday is National Radio Day. What up, National Radio Day? I'm not kidding. It's for real life. National Radio Day. It's also World Mosquito Day. I don't want to think that there's a connection there. But uh, I totally got bitten up yesterday in my friend's yard. Not the point of the story, but yes, it is National Radio Day. So happy National Radio Day to all us radio people out there and to all the people who just love listening. We really, we appreciate it very, very much. Tomorrow, by the way, um, because, you know, sometimes I like to give you a heads up as to what's coming, what's coming up next. Tomorrow is the International Day of Remembrance and Tribute to the Victims of Terrorism. So that is something, obviously, that we in the Jewish community, our, our loved ones in Israel, and frankly, everyone who remembers 9-11 like it happened yesterday, um, take a moment to pay tribute. It is also Men's Grooming Day. Yeah, I'll tell you, Arab Shabbos, it should be a Men's Grooming Day. I didn't know it was the third Friday of the month, of this month, of August, but it certainly is. And... Tomorrow is Senior Citizens Day. So call a senior citizen in your neighborhood. Check in on them. It is Erev Shabbos. See if they need anything and show them that you care. You're listening to That's Life here at the Nachum Siegel Network. Talking, speaking of um, making sure to check in with members of the community who need sometimes a little bit extra help and certainly our attention um, returning to That's Life, not for her first time, second time, or third time, but a repeat guest here at the Nachum Siegel Network, Keshet Starr. She is the CEO of ORA, the Organization for the Resolution of Agunot. You can find information about ORA and about the halachic prenup at getora.org. Keshet, good morning. Good morning. Thanks so much for having me. Always an absolute pleasure. You know, one day, one day you and I are going to look back on ORA as the organization that finally fulfilled its mission because they solved the crisis. I, I just have that feeling about you guys. Amen. We agree. That's the goal. Right. That is the goal. That is what I was first told about ORA. You are one of those organizations that looks forward to shutting down. Please, please, uh- God. Amen. Absolutely. Right. So, you know, uh, there were a number of reasons that I wanted to invite you on. And of course, wedding season being one of them, it is uh, during Corona. God bless. During Corona, making a simcha is complicated. Making a simcha, making a wedding, melding two families in, in the most calm of times is stressful. Halavai, how much more so during Corona? So I imagine that a lot of little things get lost in the uh, get lost in the mayhem, so to speak. And I think it's important to make sure people understand just how not a little thing the halachic prenup is. So in light of wedding season, let's start from the basics. Tell me what the breakdown is and the makeup is of the halachic prenup. Absolutely. So we like to, again, make it just really simple so it doesn't feel too overwhelming. When you sign a halachic prenup, you're really agreeing to two things. And the first is that if there's any disagreement about the get, that disagreement is going to be decided by a specific basin, which is normally not super exciting to people. Arbitration isn't that, you know, glamorous. 
But that actually avoids a lot of the problems that we see in our active Aguna cases. And then the second piece is that the prenup enforces a halachic support obligation. So the idea is that if you're halachically married, i.e. you're not giving a get, wonderful, but there are obligations that come with halachic marriage. It's not just about what you're getting, it's about what you're giving. And so for every day that the couple separated, you owe each other $150 a day if you don't cooperate with the get. And what that means is that if someone says, oh, I'll wait a year, I'll wait two years, I'll wait 10 years, there is essentially an amount of money that's adding up that creates a financial disincentive to delay. So it really encourages an early get, which is huge. Right. And it, and you're basically, it's almost, I mean, Lahav deal, like, right, let's just put this aside. It's like a library book fine, but exponentially more expensive. Absolutely. I love that analogy. It's really true. Um, I'm going to I'm going to steal that. Um, it's really true. And it just encourages to get early. And what we find, we work on these really difficult, high conflict divorces. And we really find that when you um, deal with the get earlier, it really prevents a lot of heartache. A couple when they've been in an intense hostile process for five years, they are a lot less flexible than they were at the beginning. Right. And so by encouraging a get early on, you avoid a lot of problems later. And honestly, I think we're at a stage as a community where we need to encourage everyone in the divorce process to try and do it in a menschlichkeit way, especially if they have children that saying, I'm going to use the get and I'm going to use this and I'm going to use that. It creates this very hostile process that the real losers in that process are the kids because right. it's really hard to have a good co-parenting relationship after a horrible, nasty divorce. So we're all about, like, if this is the right thing to do, let's do it with dignity, with respect for each other, and kind of minimize that collateral damage as much as we can. And the prenup is a great first step having that kind of a divorce process. And you also, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, and certainly I am not a rabbinic authority by any stretch of the imagination, but you can't put yourself out there as the the most religious of individuals if you're standing behind not granting a get. A hundred percent. That the cases we work on at ORA, there are halachic rulings in the case. And people ask me all the time, you know, how does halakha allow this? And one thing I always try to clarify is that halakha doesn't allow this. <laughs> this is just as trace as eating a bacon cheeseburger. But just like we don't arrest people for eating bacon cheeseburgers, we also don't have a great means in our current legal structure to hold people accountable when they're behaving in this way. And so part of what we do as an organization is create some of that accountability so that a person can't sort of live their life as if everything's great and they're part of the firm community when they're doing this thing that goes so much in the face of Torah values. Well, you know, Kesha, that actually is bringing up a really interesting point. Why don't we have that part of our legal system, of our halakhic legal system, that would, um, I, I, I'm, I'm confused. I mean, not confused by anything that you said. I'm confused by the concept that we don't have the the legal structure to to un undo this. I'm I'm like I'm I'm fumfering for the words just because I wonder if it didn't it, it wouldn't have crossed the it wouldn't have crossed 
the minds of our sages that someone would sit there and say, no, I'm not giving you a get. Do you know what I'm saying? Definitely. And the truth is, Jewish history, I mean, communities and the interaction between the community and the legal structure has evolved over time. But in most periods of history, Jewish communities were self-governing. The fact that we are now a firm community in a society with a legal structure that has a separation between church and state, that's pretty unique. And so a lot of the challenges we deal with are that we're in a world where a beacon, a religious court, only has so much legal power. Right. And part of the brilliance of the prenup is that it gives us the best of both worlds. A prenup is an arbitration agreement, just like you might sign with your employer. <laughs> and it's enforced as a contract and as an arbitration commitment. And so by signing a prenup, you allow the power of the civil courts to be used in a really helpful way, but without creating any halakhic complications. Because there are some halakhic considerations when you bring sort of a Jewish law issue into a secular court. And so the prenup allows us to have the structure of the religious court with the power of the secular court. So it's really, and you know, where Mordechai Willig wrote the prenup, it's really a very creative and kind of ingenious workaround to get the best of both systems in a moment in time where a lot of people are kind of stuck between those systems. Very, very interesting. Keshet Starr joins us this morning on That's Life. She is the CEO of ORA, the Organization for the Resolution of Agunot. You can get more information at getora.org. I should also just remind our listeners that not only um, is that website important for women who are Agunot and who are um, chained in, in, in their marriage and are not being granted a get by their husbands, but also for those people who want to support the organization, which is obviously um, not only worthy of all of our support, but we are a community that depends on the good work of ORA to solve what is a major, major crisis. Let's talk for a second um, about where ORA started, or I should say what this community looked like when ORA started and where we are now. How much of an improvement has the halachic prenup made on the Aguna crisis? So the best way to answer that is to look at our cases. When I first started, I've been at ORA almost nine years, we had a ton of cases in the modern Orthodox community. And that's really, we started as a student group at YU years ago. And so that was kind of our home base. And what we've seen is that as the prenup is more and more common, not only are people getting divorced with a prenup, but when you live in a community where everyone signs a prenup, that's not a community where you want to be a get refuser. It's not worth it. There's too much of a social cost. And what we are seeing now is that our cases are almost exclusively coming from Haredi, Hasidish, Yeshivish communities. We're not getting them from the modern Orthodox world. And so we've seen that in just a few short years, the demographics really, really change because the prenup not only changes outcomes for those people who sign it, but the prenup changes culture. And that's what really has that sort of meta impact. And why can't we impact on the Haredi and Hasidic communities the same way ORA has impacted on the modern Orthodox communities? I think we can. 
can, honestly. I'm an optimist by nature, which is maybe how I've survived in this field. God bless um, you. I think, yeah. we, <laughs> I think we can. I really do. And I will say that if you had asked me two years ago, how long is it going to take to get into the Haredi community? I would have given you a much longer time frame. Even in the past year, there have been new versions of the cleanup targeted at the Haredi community. There was a Mishpacha cover article, you know, should we sign a prenup? It's at least a conversation in a way that I thought was going to take a lot longer, honestly. So I've actually been really pleasantly surprised by how much that conversation shifted and how much more openness than I would have thought there really is. And so I'm optimistic that if we kind of keep that community involvement, that education and awareness, that we're going to see significant changes in the Haredi community as well, you know, hopefully within, again, the next five years or so. This is a long game. Change doesn't happen overnight. But I will say in the 10 years I've been involved in this work, there has been so much change. And please, God, by 2030, there will be even more. And our ultimate goal, as you said, is that we want get refusal to be something that you read about in a history book. You know, that hopefully I'll be able to tell my grandchildren, yeah, I used to work on this issue and it was this big thing that was impacting so many people, but we don't have that anymore. Well, and that's very much what we're working towards. Well, God bless you, Kesha, because I can't think 2030. I can barely think after COVID. But let's let's talk. I hear that. Yeah. I mean, but good for you. I'm happy to know there is a 2030 out there. Let's talk for let's let's transition now to this this Times of Israel piece that really um, very much spurred my my um, my reaching out to you, I should say. There was a piece recently in Times of Israel called, actually it just came out August 12th, that's last week, The Coronavirus May Hold the Key to Unchaining Agunot, written by Gail Benheim and Yardena Osband, two of honestly my favorite people in the entire world. And the, the, the tagline, or I should say the subtitle, the subheading is, if mental health is a life or death issue in Jewish law, and it is, then Orthodox rabbis need to free women who are kept suffering in dead marriages by get refusers. How is there a connection or what is the connection between coronavirus and unchaining agunot? So I think a lot of what it comes down to is attitude. That at the end of the day, we're from Jews. We believe in the halachic system. None of us, and certainly not those of us at Ora, are saying throw the halachic system out the window and, you know, these rules aren't working. Let's make new ones. But I think what we always are advocating for is that we kind of go to the limits that we can within the halachic system. And unfortunately, sometimes it's easy to just get complacent. Like, oh, Nabach, this is such a terrible situation. If only there was something we can do as opposed to a sense of urgency and that, wow, someone's suffering now, let me make sure that I have turned over every single stone that exists um, and in order to free this woman. And truthfully, halacha does, you know, often provide more solutions that are actually being used. And I'm not talking about kind of radical halacha solutions, but just an attitude of, have we taken this based-in process as far as it can go? Have I called everyone that I can call who might make a difference on this case. And what we really look for is that sense of urgency and energy in rabbinic leadership and in every corner of leadership so that this feels really present and that we're doing everything that we can because there really is a lot that we can do. 
I should make mention, by the way, that neither of the women who penned this article work for Ora. This was not an Ora planted piece. Definitely not. Although they're definitely women that I admire and respect and uh, are very lucky to have as sort of a professional connection. Oh, no, I, I agree with that wholeheartedly. And certainly women who have their finger on the pulse of of the community. It's an it's an it's an important it's almost an important lesson to remind all of us and to remind our rabbis that we've been forced into a, a situation on this planet that has that has required a reexamination of halacha as we know it so that we can continue to be halachic Jews. And so basically we are asking our rabbinic leaders to do to to be creative in that way for the agunot as well and hopefully in turn come up with a resolution that will shorten and and destroy this crisis absolutely and again i think there is so much that can be done and one thing that we're trying to take away from this moment is that if life as we know it has to change which none of us wanted then let's have it change for the better. Mm. And I think that we've all gotten a perspective about what it's like to be stuck, mm. right? It sometimes feels like there's like a giant pause button over our lives that's just been sitting there for months and we're waiting to press play. And I think that can be sort of an empathy entrance in that for, as we know, people live with that pause button for years, in some cases, decades. And I think this is a moment where all of us can get a little bit clued in into what that emotional experience might be like, even like a tiny fraction of it, and that we all have that urgency. And again, I do want to say this, I think it's a really important point. We're not advocating to go outside of mainstream halakha or outside of the mainstream halakhic system, because that's not our positioning hashkafically. We're an organization with postgame. We really work within the halakhic system. But we are always advocating for a sense of urgency and a sense of we are not walking away until we have turned over every stone. And if rabbinic leaders, if all leaders can join us in that attitude, we are going to be able to resolve a lot more cases. Now, uh, with with literally like a minute left, Keshet, even though, as usual, I could speak to you for another hour, let me ask you, is it ever too late to contact Ora? Definitely not. And I'll also say it's never too early. We have a helpline mm. that works with people who are just thinking about divorce. They just want to know their options. It is never too late or too early. We provide referrals to a lot of other agencies and forms of support. And our goal is that no one should have to go through the Jewish divorce process and feel like they're doing it alone, that we're there for people at any stage of the process to help explain options, to connect you with the resources out there, and to be part of your team so that you're not doing this by yourself. And we also remind um, the rabbinic leaders who are going to be officiating at many, many weddings and have been officiating at many, many weddings, that they too need to do their part in not officiating in weddings that the halachic prenup has not been signed. Absolutely. And you can sign it through an online notarization process. Get in touch with us. We've been helping a lot of couples figure this out. So even during COVID, you can sign a prenup and we can help you do that. I'll tell you the, the phrase even during COVID has <laughs> has taken on so many lives and so many permutations. But I, I, I think it's absolutely fabulous that this is something you can 
easily and quickly do from the comfort and the privacy of your own home. It is not, it is not, COVID is not a reason not to sign a halachic prenup. You can get more information at getora, G-E-T-O-R-A dot org, getora dot org. Keshet Star, always a pleasure and continued Hatzacha to you and everyone on your team. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. My pleasure. You've been listening to That's Life here at the Nachum Siegel Network. So much good information from that interview. Again, getora.org, either early in the process or even if you are an Aguna and late in the process, be in touch with them if you are in need of help. The afternoon continues with a full day of pro- programming. The last, the uh, live lunch starts in just a few moments. Again, I heard it's going to be Labadick. Don't miss a moment. And then, of course, oh, by the way, we also have a lot. We also have a giveaway today, right? We have a giveaway today at noon during the live lunch. It's our month of giveaways. Nachum does it a lot better than I do, but that was my ode to Nachum of month of giveaways. Throwback Thursdays at 1 p.m. Yes, yes, he is a much better announcer than I am. That is correct. I know, I know, I know. The fact that I just admitted that, that's crazy. Uh, Throwback Thursdays at 1 p.m. Encore of JM Rewind at 4 p.m. Arab Shabbos show hosted by Mark Zamek brought to you by our friends at Kedem is tonight at 7 p.m. Eastern time. Join Nachum tomorrow morning as he hosts JM in the AM starting at 6 a.m. Naomi table for two starting at 9 a.m. Eastern time. Avrami hosts Saturday Night Seagull this month's a Shabbos. Matis hosting JM Sunday 7 a.m. Eastern time. My God, so much is going on. Let's go. We're going to close today with Adama Bashamayim by Matt Dub. That song is in my head. That's life, everybody. Bye, guys. Adama Yeah, yeah, yeah.